Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats for another hour of the PFT Live podcast. Wednesday, fourth day of March, Pro Football Talk Live. It's a three-man weave edition of PFT Live later today, an hour from now, not that much later from today. It's Chris Sims and Peter King and me. A lot to discuss, especially with three voices clamoring to be heard. Filibustering throughout the two hours that we'll be together. It's actually fun. It goes so much faster when there's three of us trying to talk. We'll be doing that in an hour. It's just me for this hour. Hello. How are you? I am fine. I hope you are also fine on this fine Wednesday morning. I've been trying to go on a news media blackout. I saw something about the election last night. Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. Not just a regular Tuesday, baby. It's a Super Tuesday. So I'm not going to say anything about politics other than they're out there and you can pay attention to them if you want. And there are just days where I've got no desire to do it. And this is one of those days. I do have plenty of desire to pay attention to free agency because it begins two weeks from today. Two weeks from today, players can take visits. Players can sign contracts. You know, the problem with this legal tampering period, and we saw it most prominently four years ago when... The Texans signed Brock Osweiler, sight unseen. You negotiate the deal during the 48-hour window. The deal's done. The player goes down to the facility, first day of free agency, to sign the contract. In some cases, the player has never met the coach. In some cases, the player has never been to the facility. And... In some cases, not very long into the process, both sides are saying, what the hell did we do? And that's exactly what happened with Brock Osweiler and the Texans. He hated O'Brien, Bill O'Brien, the head coach. O'Brien hated him. And by the end of the year, it was a mess. So much of a mess, even though they made it to the playoffs. So much of a mess that they unloaded Brock Osweiler onto the Cleveland Browns, giving the Browns a second-round pick to take the second year of his fully guaranteed $16 million salary. So, the biggest name this year, obviously, the oldest player right now in the NFL who isn't a kicker, assuming Adam Vinatieri comes back, is Tom Brady. And I'm looking back at an article that I posted on February 6th. What would that be? Four weeks ago tomorrow. Title of the article, if Tom Brady wants the 49ers, would the 49ers want Tom Brady? And that was the result of several days of dissection of Super Bowl 54 from both teams' perspectives. And we had talked a lot about what the Chiefs did right, how great Patrick Mahomes was, down 10 points in the fourth quarter, comes back and wins the game, but also the failure of the 49ers, number one, to hold the lead via adequate offensive execution and number two 
to seize the lead back with 100 seconds left in the 100th season of the NFL. Ball on the Kansas City 49. Emmanuel Sanders springs open and Jimmy Garoppolo misses him. And I remember pressing Chris Sims at the time to admit that Kyle Shanahan laying in bed at night, staring at the ceiling, wondering what went wrong, at some point is going to think, can I upgrade a quarterback? And then the question becomes, of all the quarterbacks available, is there an upgrade out there? And ultimately, is the greatest quarterback of all time, despite the fact that he's 42 and will be 43 in early August, is he an upgrade over the guy who used to back him up in New England? And the question I posed wasn't along the lines of, should the 49ers decide to go after Tom Brady? The question I posed was, if Tom Brady makes it clear to the 49ers that he wants to play for the team that he cheered for as a boy, the team that sparked in him a passion that carried him into a lifetime of football more than half it well, not more than half of his life, almost half of his life. If he plays a little bit longer, it will be more than half of his life. If he gets three more seasons, it will be more than half of his life in the NFL. What if he says, I want to play for you? I raised that four weeks ago tomorrow, and there really is kind of this bizarre subset Bizarre in my view, because if I was a 49ers fan, I'd want Tom Brady. It doesn't fit the offense. You make it fit. You make it fit. Right? Haven't we learned that in recent years for guys who are coming into the NFL? If the guy doesn't fit your offense, you make the offense fit him. And if you do it right, you're going to be great. Make the offense fit him. Kyle Shanahan, offensive mastermind, make the offense fit him. Jimmy Garoppolo has a ceiling. We know what Tom Brady's ceiling is. Six Super Bowls in 20 years. You put him on that team. If his goal is, and we were surmising about this earlier in the week. See, it all came back. It all came back because, and I'll give you the sequence. Because last week, right when the Tom Brady rumors started to hit fever pitch and everybody in Indianapolis who was covering the scouting combine was trying to get ahead of the story, all these crazy possibilities got thrown out there. Mike Giardi of NFL Network. Oh, the Giants are in it. No, they're not. Others reporting the Colts are in it. No, they're not. Everybody wants to plant a flag in the ground. And look... I, I was I was the first to say the 49ers. I mean, I threw the idea out there. I had no idea what would happen. By all appearances, it's happening. Now, as of last week, when both John Lynch, the GM of the 49ers, and Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, wrapped their arms around Jimmy Garoppolo during the media availability at the scouting combine, it's like, well, I mean, it looks like they're they're going to keep Jimmy G. But here's the problem, fundamentally, for the 49ers. If Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, the 49ers fan growing up who made better in football than any other 49ers fan in the history of the world, if he wants to play for the 49ers, 
And the 49ers say, no, thank you. That's a heck of a risk. Because if Brady ends up doing well somewhere else or staying in New England and doing well there, and the 49ers don't, and look, I mean, let's be realistic. We give in to recency bias all the time. Does anybody really think the 49ers are going back to the Super Bowl in 2020 with their current constitution of players? With all the competition in the NFC, do we really think they're going back? I mean, a lot of people will pick them to go back because we saw how dominant they were last year. But last year was last year. They were 4-12 and the year before that. I won't pick them to go back to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback. You give him Tom Brady, maybe I will. Maybe I will. And I trust Kyle Shanahan to tweak his offense as required. They, you know, it's funny. The, 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 I, I'm probably being more candid than I should, but I really don't give a crap. KNBR, they wanted me to come on and talk about it. So they want you to come on and then they start crapping on your idea. And at one point I say, why the hell did you, I mean, I didn't say it, but it's like, what, why do you want me to come, you know, like you, you want to like, I mean, like, what's the point? If you, if you don't like the idea, why do you want me to come on and talk about it? I mean, it's stupid, frankly. Well, you know, he doesn't fit the offense. Well, no, we, I mean, you got to tweak the offense to fit him. I mean, what the hell? It's not that complicated. Well, we're not going to have any of the bootlegs. Well, okay, you do other stuff. You do the stuff he does well, and you don't do the things he doesn't do well. Duh. If you're going to do it, that's what you have to do. The worst thing they could do is plug him into the offense and expect him to do all of the things that Jimmy Garoppolo does. They're two different players, two different skill sets, two different ceilings. Higher ceiling on Tom Brady. You want to win a Super Bowl now, you get Tom Brady. Now, And here's the next step. And this is why you need to pay careful attention to what does or doesn't happen between the Vikings and Kirk Cousins in Minnesota. Because you go all in with Brady for one year, and if it doesn't work out to everyone's liking, you get Kirk Cousins next year, the guy that Kyle Shanahan thought he was going to get in the first place. The reason why he didn't do a proper evaluation and consideration of Patrick Mahomes in the 2017 draft because he was convinced that it was going to be Kirk Cousins in 2018 via free agency. So now you get him three years later. You get him back into an offense that he broke into the NFL with. He knows how to run the offense. And and it's funny because, and you know, like the knee-jerk reaction for so many people on social media when you say something they don't like is, oh, you must not watch football. You know, a lot of times when people react to some of the things we throw out there on Twitter, my reaction is, do these people not watch football? Like, where are you basing your opinions? We saw what Kirk Cousins could do with the season on the line. The 42-yard, just, you know, thread the needle to Adam Thielen. And then the throw on, on three plays later, third and goal, from the five, the snap low and outside. He had to get it and control it and get rid of it to Kyle Rudolph to win the game. So, I, I, uh, yeah, Cousins over Garoppolo. I'm, I'm sorry, why are you so down on Garoppolo? Don't you like Italians? I'm just not sold that Jimmy Garoppolo is a championship quarterback. 
I saw it with my own eyes right in front of me, right down from the press box at Hard Rock Stadium. Championship there. Ultimate litmus test. Well, you can't be expected to make that throw all the time. Can't be expected to make... Well, you know what? There's one spot where you can be expected to make that throw if you're a championship quarterback in a championship game with the game on the line. Some guys make it, some guys don't. It's that's a, oh that's not that's not how it works. Yes, it is. Yes, it is how it works. It's exactly how it works. That's how legacies are made. So anyway, this week it's all bubbled up again. Deion Sanders was talking about it. So Peter King wrote about it. So I started talking about it on Monday, and uh, uh, Tom Curran I think has started poking around a little bit, and Tom Curran has come to the conclusion that it's real. He was on with Adam Shine yesterday on. Sirius XM Mad Dog Radio and Curran said that right now it's Patriots or Titans with the 49ers coming up on the outside. So we'll see. We will see. And I think it's fascinating. And it's going to be one hell of a decision for the 49ers to make if Tom Brady wants to play for them. What do you do? What, what do you do? Well, if word gets out that you could have had him and you didn't, you're the 2012 Texans that said to Peyton Manning, no thank you, we're fine with Matt Schaub. And I keep coming back to this quote from Tom Brady before Super Bowl 54, talking about Jimmy Garoppolo. He's got a great opportunity to go out there today and prove it. That's when you really get to see whether someone's capable or not. That's when you get to see whether someone's capable or not. Brady gets it. The question is, will Lynch and Shanahan get it? And look, it's not going to be the easiest thing in the world to do because, hey, you got a locker room that says all the right things about Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, something Peter King said in the run-up to the Super Bowl, like what else are they going to say in that locker room about Jimmy G? What are they going to say? When, remember when, when they weren't using him in the playoffs? All the runs and so few passes in the NFC Championship game, almost like they were hiding him, like they were afraid he was going to... There's been this, this premise of fear, like Jimmy Garoppolo is going to screw something up. You're not going to have that fear with Tom Brady. And again, he's 42 going on 43. He has developed a habit of bailing out to avoid a big hit. And that affects his accuracy. And that's a factor. But it's Tom Brady. How do you say no if Tom Brady wants to play for you? How do you say no? And then what do you do with Jimmy G? You trade him back to the Patriots. It's that simple. Very tradable contract for somebody that wants him. And maybe the Patriots would want him. And, you know, look, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Because it's all coming to a head, and we're going to find out a lot of answers to these questions very, very soon. When we return, Lamar Jackson still has questions about what the hell happened to the Ravens in the AFC playoffs. He's puzzled. We'll try to solve his puzzle a little bit. My PFT Life continues right after this. 22 minutes after the hour, Wednesday edition PFT Live. The Baltimore Ravens made an early exit from the postseason as the one seed. The one caveat the asterisk the reason we can look at the expanded playoff field that will be coming if a new cba is ratified before 
I would say next Thursday. It's been more than a week now since they voted for the thing. They're still drafting the long-form document. You would have thought they would have had most of it ready. But there will be only one buy, and it wouldn't have mattered this past year because the Ravens would have been bounced. The one seed out. Lamar Jackson appearing on Sirius XM NFL Radio at the 101 Awards in Kansas City over the weekend. Lamar Jackson says, I'm still puzzled by the loss to the Titans. Just looking at the highlights and stuff, I'm like, I don't know what happened. We had good plays. We had good drives. We'll hit a hump one play. They steal the momentum. And it's, you know, the NFL is a momentum game. Like, whoever's got momentum, they're going to score points. They might come out with a victory, and that's what it was. We were flat the whole night. That game was not on our defense. I feel like we just didn't execute on offense. If we put up more points, it'd be a great game. It was just one of those classic divisional round, one seed at home, get hit early and not recover type games. You get popped. You get knocked wobbly. And any given Sunday or Saturday or Thursday or whenever they play these games, it can happen. And the Titans were a dangerous team. When you have today's Jim Brown battering through the line and they gain momentum that way, you get a little confidence early in a game and you got the home team on the run. This is the team that is supposed to win. You're supposed to win. You had a week off. You're the best team in football. You're supposed to win. Hey, what's wrong? You're supposed to win. And they're out there and they're playing the game. and like, what the hell's wrong? We're supposed to win. It's that simple. It's that simple. That That's why certain, I, I don't want to get into the whole analytics thing, but ultimately it's human beings who are out there dealing with very basic emotions that at some point in our lives, isn't there a point in all of our lives where we've dealt with that? Whenever it may be, if you played football at any level at any age, if you engaged in any type of strenuous physical activity at any age, if you were just hanging around with your buddies and somebody found some boxing gloves, you ever have that happen? You're hanging around with your buddies and all of a sudden in the closet, in the basement, there's four boxing gloves. And hey, these are cool. Put them on. Hey, hey, let's box. Yeah, you know, you bang them together. That's always the first thing you do when you get the boxing gloves. You bang them together. Yeah, they're not. You know, this is kind of cool. Come on, let's box. And they dance around. They dance around. Oh, they're you know hitting gloves, and then all of a sudden, boom! Somebody gets hit in the face, and everything changes. Everything. That's the the wisdom of Mike Tyson before he faded into Bolivian. He, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth, and and it it is a visceral change. And that's what happened to the Ravens. They had a plan. They got hit in the mouth. And they got knocked wobbly. And they couldn't recover. As they were trying to recover, the Titans kept on them and kept on them and kept on them. That's what happened. Lamar Jackson shouldn't be puzzled by what happened. What happened was they got their ass kicked. What happened was they got knocked wobbly early. Like Deontay Wilder, when he took that jab to the jaw in round one, against Tyson Fury a week and a half ago. That's when it was over. It wasn't over when he got his eardrum busted. It was over when, you know, he comes into the ring with swagger and 45 pounds of gear, and he thinks he's going to destroy this guy because he had him down and 
but for a, a somewhat slow 10 count, would have won the first match. Once he got popped, it changed everything. So they got popped in the face early. The Titans and the Ravens found some boxing gloves. They danced around for a little bit, and the Titans caught the Ravens flat-footed, and they popped them in the jaw. And as the Ravens were trying to figure out what the hell happened, the Titans pounced. It's that simple. It's not that simple to figure out how to improve the Bengals. Are they actually ready to take a crowbar to Mike Brown's wallet? We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. Free agency is coming in two weeks. And an unlikely team is a candidate to break the bank, relatively speaking, as it relates to the spending spree. The Cincinnati Bengals could be heavily involved in free agency, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Media. Heavily involved. They're expected to change the narrative. Change the narrative. Heavily involved in the upper and middle class of free agents. Heavily involved. Well, first of all, we know it's fool's gold. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is you sit back and wait for the market to soften. How many times has a team gone out and spent a bunch of money in free agency and had that correlate into successful performances on the field? Free agency is the tool that you use to address surgically the weaknesses that you have that you don't believe you'll be able to address in the draft with guys who can make an impact right away. That's how you handle free agency. And you have to be willing to let some of your best players go in free agency and take solace in the fact that you'll get a compensatory draft pick the following year. And you have to know who to keep and you have to know who to pursue, and you have to know when to pursue. There's an art to it. You don't just decide, well, we're going to go spend. We're going to go buy something. What are you going to buy? I don't know. That's always been the problem with the Bengals, dating back to the decade and a half since Marvin Lewis arrived. Now, Marvin Lewis eventually got Mike Brown to spend more money. They didn't have scouts at one point. I've said this before, but this is astonishing. And yeah, it was 15 years ago, but the NFL had matured and grown to the point that it was, and still is, a business where a lot of money is spent on assessing in significant detail on a a 12-month-a-year basis the incoming crop of rookies. And once one draft ends, what happens? You start focusing on the next one. You're already focusing on the next one, even though this one hasn't happened yet. Not the Bengals. They didn't have scouts. None. After the season, the assistant coaches were told, well, it's time to start scouting. And that's how they ended up with so many guys who had off-field issues that caused them to slide down the draft board. Because you'd get to round five, and the Bengals are on the clock, and they don't know who the hell to draft. So they take the guy who's left over that everybody liked in round one but didn't draft. That's how it happened. And... There are still fumes of that frugality that are poisoning the air in the Bengals organization. You can't just wake up one day and say, we're going to start spending a lot of money. I mean, maybe, just maybe, maybe Katie Blackburn and her husband have 
finagled the keys away from Mike Brown. But you just can't roll out of bed one day and say, we're going to start spending. You have to learn how to do it. Now, maybe this is a sign that they're working their way toward eventually figuring it out. But if you've never opened the checkbook for free agency and all of a sudden you're going to do it, you're going to learn all the lessons that other teams learned the hard way. Why not learn those lessons vicariously? Why not study what's happened? See, if you had the appropriate resources in your organization, you could actually assign someone the task of creating a spreadsheet, creating an algorithm, or come up with some other fancy word, you and your fancy words, come up with some sort of fancy word, some sort of fancy structure to analyze the correlation between spending in free agency and winning. And why do you have to tell anybody about that? What's the point? That's lesson number one. Keep your damn mouth shut. And and I look, where does this come from? How, how does it become something that lands on Ian Rappaport's radar screen that the Bengals are trying to change the narrative by being heavily involved in the upper and middle class of free agents? Okay, they understand that the narrative isn't good. You don't just flip a switch and change it. Well, we're going to spend a lot of money. I mean, is this somebody from the Bengals claiming it? Is this evidence that has emerged based upon the Bengals' names coming up for this guy, this guy, this guy? They want to to sign him, they want to sign him, they want to sign him, they want to sign him. It's not nearly as simple as they think, and they don't know because they've never done it. These are the Bengals of the early 90s. This is when other teams, when salary cap rolled around and free agency rolled around and they decided they're going to go out and spend and make themselves relevant, the Bengals have to realize that doesn't work. And maybe they're 10 years away from figuring out it doesn't work. Of course, then they'll be 10 years behind whatever the NFL has figured out at that point. Go ahead, Bengals truthers, come at me. It really has astounded me that... The Bengals fans, and and look, here's the thing. Social media and Twitter is is a very, very inaccurate fishbowl of how the bulk of the people feel. And, And I try to realize that, especially as our account grows and grows and grows and more and more people are on Twitter. It really is the equivalent of having a million people or a lot more than that standing out in the courthouse square passing around a megaphone and you have to hear them. You, Whatever comment they make, if you scroll through your mentions, you see it. It's just one person. I don't know that... And look, I'm, I'm, it's, it's very heartening that there are that many Bengals fans that care. They sure as hell aren't in the stadium on Sundays. I guess one step towards showing up for the games is giving a crap about the team and reacting when... When someone would dare point out that the team's not very good, they were two and fourteen last year. So, just spending money, and they have forty-four million cap space. I mean, 
There are the teams that have held a lot more. There's not that that cap space is going to go quickly, as they'll find out. I I don't I don't look. It's if if this is as simple as they are stung by the criticism that has surrounded this notion that maybe Joe Burrow doesn't want to play for the Bengals, and this is their reaction to it. That's not very encouraging if you're a Bengals fan. If they're that sensitive and that reactionary and that naive to think you can change the narrative simply by planning to be heavily involved in the upper and middle class of free agents, what does that even mean, heavily involved? We're involved. Are you signing any of them? No, but we're involved. We called them. We called their agent. Hey, do you want to sign with us? No. Okay, we're involved. We are involved, which is far better than their traditional approach of being not involved. I'd have to do the research on it, but it's not like I have this recollection of the Bengals, you know, making a bunch of big moves in free agency. And again, it is fool's gold. The best way to build your team is through the draft through a nucleus of young players who are making peanuts in comparison to what top free agents command. And you build it that way. And you identify which of those players you're going to keep and which ones you're going to let go. You know, the Vikings are at one extreme where they keep all of them. They find a way to keep all of them. All of the ones they develop, they find a way to keep them. Now, this year they're going to be tested with Anthony Harris because I think they're inclined to let him go and they're inclined to have faith in the reality that they'll have another Anthony Harris they can plug right in. When they needed Anthony Harris, they plugged him right in. Hey, this guy's pretty good. He goes away, they plug the next guy right in. But that's how you build your team. It's not sexy, especially at this time of year as free agency approaches, but that's how you do it. With a willingness to augment areas of need via free agency. Really, the extreme example of building your team through the draft was the Packers pre-Brian Gutekunst. That's the extreme example. And now they're jumping in. They jumped in last year. Uncharacteristic of them. It got them one game away from the Super Bowl, but they have Aaron Rodgers. Joe Burrow does not want to be compared to Tom Brady. Please don't compare me to the best player of all time when he was on NFL Network. Let me do my own thing. Don't do that to me, please. He was told it's a great compliment to be compared to Brady. Burrow said it is, but it's Tom Brady. That's right. These guys don't want to be compared to anyone else. We had that conversation with Chase Young last week. Yeah, you look at bits and pieces of what other guys do, but ultimately, you are you. You're not anybody else. You're you. You do what works for you. You find what works for you. But at the end of the day, you want to be the guy that others are compared to. That's the swagger that you have to have. You want to be the guy. You don't want to be compared to the guy. Right? You don't want the award. You want to be the guy they name the award after. That's the attitude that they have to have to be successful. And I think Burrow's kind of... It, it, and maybe it's a maturity thing. I don't know. Remember, he's older than Lamar Jackson. But I think Burrow's going to be pretty good. 
And whether it's the Bengals or whether something else happens, and we know from past experience, anything can happen. I remember back in 2016, we did the three-hour radio show, two-hour TV show. As soon as we get done, the Rams trade up to number one. Who are they going to take? What are they going to do? We went back on and did more radio instead of letting the re-air play. That's the kind of dedication we have displayed to this program over the years. It wasn't all that hard to just turn the machine back on and talk. So anyway, uh, Bengals. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. And Bengals truthers, come on, give me a break. It, it's, it's so funny. And the lazy, uninformed, stupid opinions. He's a Steelers fan. Look, he's wearing black. He hates the Bengals. He wants Joe Burrow to go out of the division. He's a Steelers fan. It's it's just funny, and and uh, that's good. Look, I I don't it's it doesn't make me mad. It makes me smile. It makes me laugh. I I as I told my wife when we first added comments to ProFootballTalk.com years ago, and trust me, I have thought many many times about just getting rid of them. And, and she read them and she's like, my God, <laughs> my God, do you read these? It's like, no, I don't. That's that's the easy approach. You don't read them. And you just accept the fact that the passion that causes them to say those outlandish things is the passion that gets them to come to the website. If they didn't care, they wouldn't say anything. I'd rather them say, I'm nuts, I'm stupid, I'm crazy, I'm a Steelers fan. I'd rather thou all any of that than them say nothing. Right, we're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to say some things about the Denver Broncos picking up a cornerback that uh, makes it even more likely Chris Harris Jr. is going to be gone. We'll talk about that next on PFT Live. 53 minutes after the hour. You know, we had not had a trade yet, and the trades can't become official until the new league year begins on March 18, but we have a trade. And we don't really need a drum roll for this one. A.J. Bouye traded from the Jaguars to the Broncos. Fourth round draft pick in 2020 is what the Jaguars get in exchange for Bouye, who is in the fourth year of a five-year deal that he signed in 2017. He's due to make $13 million in 2020. And it creates $11.5 million in cap space for the Jaguars by dumping him. The Jaguars also would like to dump Nick Foles, if they can, reportedly. You know, I should have seen this coming. When Shad Khan, the owner of the team, comes out and says, we have an embarrassment of riches at quarterback, I should have said, Shad, you're embarrassing yourself by trying to make it look like you are going to keep both guys. Now, there was a suggestion by ESPN that Nick Foles is a trade candidate. Well, you know what, guys? Everybody's a trade candidate, except for maybe Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Everybody's a trade candidate. The question is, is there going to be an offer that is accepted by the current team? My understanding is there is some interest in Foles, and obviously Foles is going to want to go to a place where he knows he can play. I think he knows in Jacksonville Gardner Minshew is the guy. And look, Foles got the big contract, and Foles has significant guaranteed money this year. Even if Foles doesn't play, he's getting paid, and that's what the Jaguars have to ask themselves. How much do they want to pay for a backup quarterback if they truly are all in with Minshew? But even if they trade him, look, here's where you have to choose. You pay him nearly $16 million, 
in cash to keep him around as ideally the backup to Gardner Minshew because I think they're all in with Minshew. I think the fact that Dave Caldwell found Minshew last year and Doug Marone groomed Minshew is one of the reasons why they're still there. They want to see what they have with Minshew. 20 years after a six-round pick turned into a great quarterback, maybe they have a six-round pick who can turn into a great quarterback. They trade him. They're looking at a cap charge this year of $18.75 million. So they're really not going to clear cap space. What they're going to do is clear cash space. And let's not forget that that is a very important aspect of the analysis because every team goes into the year with a budget, a cash budget. You rarely have a team that is forced to do all sorts of magic tricks to stay under the salary cap anymore. It used to be that way. It's not anymore. Remember, the salary cap is the limit. The salary floor is the more important number because whatever the spread is, there are teams out there like the Bengals that can stay at the floor and just pour profit into their coffers. Raw, unadulterated profit. So you save $16 million in cash. You lose $18.75 million in cap space. And what do you do with Nick Foles? Where does he go? Well, we had Frank Reich on set last week, the Colts head coach, and I wasn't asking him questions about Nick Foles to flesh out whether or not he'd want Nick Foles, in part because I'm wired to avoid anything that would be considered as tampering. I don't want to get these guys in trouble. Otherwise, they don't come on the show anymore. But I did ask Frank Reich about just Nick Foles and the memories of him and you know his his suitability to be a backup if that's what it comes down to and what a great teammate he'll be he has no ego he's not wired to want to to play to the point where it undermines the the interests of the team and Frank Reich was going on and on about him and when we started to catch wind of this possibility that Foles is available I know it's in the same division but so what if that remember last year when Foles became available Nobody really wanted Falls other than the Jaguars. So he's in play. He's one of these one of these quarterbacks. As the chairs line up, he's one of the quarterbacks available. And maybe he ends up in Indianapolis. And when you look at him making around sixteen million. And Jacoby Brissett at 14.875, that puts you right around 30 for your quarterback position. And then you figure out who the better guy is, and you keep the other guy around to be the backup. And if Jacoby Brissett somehow wins the job, Nick Foles would be a great backup. And if Foles wins the job, Brissett would be a great backup. And you just let him go compete and see who the best guy is. That may be what the Colts do. All right, Peter King getting himself ready. I see him here in my monitor. Chris Sims getting ready three-man weave edition of pft live coming up over the next couple of hours check us out on nbcsn and we'll also be on sky sports later in the day but not live we're delayed on sky sports but we love being on sky sports and nbcsn and we'll be back with more pft live right after this